No, I, I have a soundboard. I feel power too powerful. I shouldn't. Yeah. I've got something. Jesus. Well. I understand that this is considered cannibalism. Thank you. The sustenance we receive. Welcome to Tinder Subject, the only podcast that sucks the teeth of the primordial cow. I'm Jay. <laughs> Kate, who are you? I'm Kate. Hell yeah. Justin, who are you? <laughs> I'm Justin. Hey, who are you? <laughs> I'm still Kate. It's a cycle, see? Themes. Oh, it's like an Ouroboros. Yeah, see? Yeah. See what I did there? Justin is our guest, if you have not figured that out. From Justin, Library who are Punk. You? But who are you? There's a bunny. I'm Justin you. from Library Punk. There's a bunny behind me. <laughs> These are things that people have said about me. <laughs> Pretty much always. I think there's, are there two or just one? There's three. There's three bunnies. <laughs> See, I didn't redirect the camera. <laughs> the oh, last my episode goodness. When this was Look mentioned. at them. It's like They're the, so cute. It's like the last scene of the favorite over at Justin's house right now. <laughs> 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 oh, one's hot dog and hell yeah, you see that? I love when they do that, when they kick their legs back. And they just turn into a tube. Yep. Oh. Little thin. So, Justin, uh-huh. you're a returning guest. Yes. I'm your most popular guest. And apparently our most popular guest. So we invited you back. Analytics. Yeah. To talk about what? We are talking about origin myths and cannibalism. Ooh. Uh, so I thought there were more stories where like cannibalism is part of the mythic structure of creating the world. The weird thing is that like gods don't really need to eat when they do, they do it for fun. So instead of like just eating something and it creates the world, they kind of like sacrifice and repurpose the corpse in some way, or there's some other type of consumption, which we'll talk about. I actually didn't add it into the notes, but there's there's a little bit of like, if you're in Egypt. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't really get into certain places that I wanted to, because I didn't really have the time to double check every. Yeah. We'll just have you back for myths. Part two. Yeah, because we we're not doing like Greek and Roman stuff, really. Yeah, and the thing is, like, I think a lot of this is already like I'm going to talk a little bit about Proto-Indo-European creation myth, and as like the background for a lot of myths, and then all the connections. So you don't really need to get into the specifics too much once you start talking about like the origin myths, and then how they get shared through different cultures. Like a culture will conquer another one and then little bits and pieces will get pulled into their creation myth so i'll get into that more in a minute yeah we love syncretism don't we folks mm-hmm. yeah, we syncretism. Love it. yeah was there any cannibalism in the news this week did any more pop tarts get like sacrifice themselves onto themselves no Not that i'm aware of I usually get sent, if there's anything going on in the world of cannibalism, someone sends me info about it. There was a man who ate a human burger recently that I don't know a lot about, but I'll I'll look into it and I'll get back to you. (laughs) 
Report back. Yeah. I wonder, would human meat even make a good burger? I don't know. It's the other white meat. I mean, I think so. Long pig and all Yeah, that. long pig. Mm. Delicious. Yeah. Love the Perfume Genius song. Yeah, I just love all of Perfume Genius songs. Yeah. They're great. Uh, yeah. Okay, so I spent a lot of time today <laughs> doing research on cannibalism. Okay. And the reason I didn't get to all the places I want to is academics are really bad about writing about cannibalism, but they're also really bad about writing about creation myths because as soon as you start bringing up ones related to religions that people still practice, they start getting skittish and they don't want to talk about it. And so a lot of all the really good scholarship, especially about like, like really radical stuff, studying like Abrahamic religions was, is done in like a couple periods, like the turn of the 20th century and like the sixties and seventies. And then you get like boring periods in between them, long, boring periods where nothing interesting happens. So you have just like radical periods where people will actually start like getting excited and doing actual, like actual scholars start getting interested again. Like when the Dead Sea Scrolls are found, people start getting interested again and start doing interesting stuff. And then they all like go away and they leave the field to people who are just mostly God botherers and who want to, you know, make, you know, just do apologetics and people who kind of want to teach religion, but don't really do anything super interesting in the field. Yeah. Chopping. It just gets too like, is it just too easy for like religion and creation myths to get like woo woo? or something for academics like do they just not like to deal with it i think i think people who are really interested in doing like serious critical work just come into the field in waves and then they just leave in waves yeah and then people who stay in it are like pious or semi-pious and they'll want to do like logic chopping and like you know verify the history or whatever but not say anything really interesting about like myths or Get, they won't get weird with it in a way that you kind of need to. They won't do imaginative things where you're like, what is, what are all these, you know, religions doing? And that's not true of everyone, obviously, in the field, but like it feels like there are just periods where it gets really boring for a long amount of time. And if we start calling like Christianity a myth, like if we start talking about Christianity the way we talk about other religions, even currently practiced ones in like quote non Western cultures, then it's like, oh, wait, it, like it, it sort of, is like a, a threat to the idea of religion versus myth kind of right yeah i feel like there's some interesting stuff going on right now with especially like catholicism and queer readings mm -hmm. um, that i of course gravitate towards but i don't know about yeah like other parts of the field and i guess i'm just really glad that we're past new atheism thank god <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I think that's also part of when you have a lot of pious people in the field, they, they don't want to lay with their mythology in the way that mythology kind of requires you to. Like the myth is the important part. It's not. And instead, rather, people want to try and do like historical methodology to the Bible or they want to do anthropology to religion or they want to in, instead of like playing with mythology as storytelling, because that's what it is. These are stories that tell us things that are, you know, cosmogenies, like where do things come from? Where do words come from? And like, where do you, where does the structure of the world come from? Like, why are there priests? Why are there kings? Why 
do we do sacrifice? Who gave us this? Why is there order rather than chaos? Why is there something rather than nothing? Like the same kind of questions people are interested in, but they didn't have the same means to answer those questions as we do. Although our means aren't all that much better because we're still like, it came from mathematical singularity and then don't worry about it. (laughs) Yeah, because I feel like if you don't get weird with it and you just want to like turn it into a dry history you get into like history channel shit where it's like jesus had siblings let's find out who they were (laughs) you know like that i don't know that's so weird yeah yeah asking like it's a thing of like if someone tells you a really good story and you ask did that really happen you're not getting the point of being told a really good story Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah, like I was talking to, so one of my student workers grew up in like an Orthodox Jewish family and like his like brother is a rabbi and everything. And g- because I'm Buddhist, we love talking about religion with each other. And so like I, I've been learning a lot about like Judaism that I didn't know before. And like we were talking today and one of the things that like he said about like that his brother would say that like, it's like, oh, mom accidentally used the this fork in dairy and then accidentally touched meat. Like what does she need to like wash the sink or whatever and then the brother would be like it it doesn't matter like do whatever because like apparently a lot of time the point wasn't like the rule itself but the interrogation and thinking through of the rule so it wasn't the end point that even mattered with a lot of these things like the point of the stories and the point of these things was the interrogation and the thought and not necessarily a rule to follow which i thought was really interesting did you notice that like if judaism had more weird cool scholarship because of this sort of interrogative nature of it in the first place i mean that's a long history because you've got like you've got long periods of like everything since the roman destruction of the temple you've got you know the rise of christianity but i meant like in the time periods you were looking yeah in terms of like recent scholarship I mean, one of my favorite scholars who I believe is still living is Raphael Patai. And he's one of those people who would co-author with people who would just get weird with it. But Patai is like very conservative Jewish in his thinking. But he he understands that like myths come from places. So I, I just had like I started kind of a more readings list, which was the Hebrew goddess is one I always recommend. That's from 67. And I was I was like thumbing through it because I thought for sure there was more on there's a lot in there on comparative religion. It's not just focused on Hebrew religion, but yeah, it's he's got another book with someone else who does a lot more of like story interrogations, like a lot more mythic cycle stuff, which I think is called Hebrew myths. And it got he was kind of there to to bring it down to a more like academic level, but they still got weird with it, which is what they were what, what you need to do sometimes. But yeah, a lot of the I was reading through a lot of encyclopedias, like specialist encyclopedias, and they're very quick to tell you like cannibalism is used to be racist to people like most of the time. Uh, but and then they'll talk about like Aztec cannibalism or Amazonian cannibalism and like it's like Pacific Islands, and they'll usually be like. Like, these are unattested. These aren't all, you know, whatever. These are, these can be exaggerated. These are the reasons we know about. So they'll talk about it in like very different ways in a way that's like very sensible and gives all the proper like context that you need, especially if you're using something like an encyclopedia, because that's for entry level research, mm-hmm. but it doesn't give you anything like fun. <laughs> and that's something we talked about with 
frank too with the cannibal manifesto of like cannibalism as like a weaponized and, and with you in the last time you were on like cannibalism as like weaponized like cannibalism versus an- an- anthropophagy. anthropophagy yeah yeah however you say it like how there's like in assumed like indigeneity yeah with Portuguese cannibalism anthropophagy yeah. and then like we say anthropophagy which is like that was the what was considered like officially considered what the boys who were in the the plane crash in the Andes mm. committed anthropophagy, not, not cannibalism, cannibalism, because it was not an intentional act or like a like a fetishized thing. It was just like purely for survival. It was people that had already died. And like, that's one of those examples of like the Catholic church actually said there are examples of anthropophagy in our history and we forgive all of these boys for what they did. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Like the idea of like the Academy having a really hard time with, I mean, it makes sense like having fun with it or like not being too linear in their thinking about myths because i watched embrace of the serpent last night which is a colombian film by uh, ciro guerra everyone should watch it it's so good it is an absolutely beautiful movie but it's about the colombian part of the amazon and two different like white men who are scientists who encounter indigenous people at two different times like 40 years apart and it's like right after the like biggest kind of push for rubber and the rainforest is like totally decimated and there are tribes that have been also completely like genocided and it's it's a really intense movie but a lot of it is about creation myths and you know like retaining your culture and how to keep that culture after genocide and then also enforced Christianity. And like one of the things about the film that I actually really enjoyed was like it's shot almost in this documentary style. And then a couple things happen that are so absolutely strange. And you're like, is that real? Because you're so used to like this being a story of like two white guys that like existed who went to these tribes. And like one of the tribes is not real. It was like a it's a fictional tribe. And like the the plant that they're looking for is also fictional and so it really like while you're watching the film it challenges the like extremely linear western desire to like make sense of everything that's happening in the movie you know because you're like did this really like did this part of the story actually happen and it's like what do you mean actually like what does that mean and the story becomes like an Ouroboros in a lot of ways like you know it's the creation myth of for a lot of Amazonian indigenous folks is like of the anaconda and the Amazon river is like an anaconda. So it's, it's, it's a really good movie. I really recommend it, but like also it's really good to like challenge your brain to be like, this looks like a documentary. It's not, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Yeah. Like, and I think like that's related to like a lot of times when we've talked about the way that people tend to write about cannibalism in, in film mm-hmm. in that like it's like or in fiction or in media in general where it's like always like they have to explain it away as what it's acting as metaphorically like it can't just 
deal with it. They have to explain it and make sense of it in a way that's comfortable. Right. Um, and Justin, I'm wondering if like part of like the stuff that you said of like now that instead of like that there's this sort of maybe like, you know, when it's brought up, it's always like, oh, and this was used for race. It, like explaining how through history, like both accusations and anthropology have like used cannibalism at like as a tool of racism and like colonialism, I guess an accusation and stuff. But and that that's kind of as far as the conversation goes of like, oh, this we, you know, it's there's the popular idea that they were cannibals, but that but they weren't. And then it like kind of doesn't explore it and I'm wondering if it's like a similar thing like an overcorrection like an unwillingness to like ungate like where there's like this like being uncomfortable with just facing it like of like you just have to make sense of it and so like even like with our past of you know like using it as a tool of racism and colonialism even that we have to like make sense of and explain because we're so uncomfortable with it like there's something where we just like can't look at straight in the mirror and you know yeah i think we talked about that last time where the scholars in like the 80s and 90s that were looking at cannibalism and christianity wanted to actually read it for the first time saying why did people actually believe this that these people were actually cannibals and all the way to the point of were they actually just cannibalizing because there's tons of like casual cannibalism that does that does just popped up just like popped up like reusing human bodies and medicine all the time it's just like fine yeah you can just like grind up someone's skull or feed the skull of the previous king to the next king and like yeah sure yeah king needs king juice you know <laughs> like that makes total that makes total sense and like i'm going to talk about king myths because it's like one of the other takeaways is the origin of society structures is based on sacrifice and creation myths and that that also explains like why is almost every society like a king and a priest and they're co-sovereign and they have different like vetoes on each other's power so there's the co-sovereignty of the land which is tied to the the body of the king mm -hmm. and the divine which is the priest who intercedes between the king and the divine so even if the world isn't created by sacrifice necessarily although sometimes it is sometimes it isn't sometimes there's just leftover teeth and pieces and the gods start tinkering with it and making people out of it just you know there's sometimes just stuff laying around um <laughs> but the structure and the politics is maintained by sacrifice and usually like willing sacrifice although sometimes it's like a sacrifice of a twin or of there's there's different all these build off like different versions so sometimes like a twin or you can sacrifice like the chaos serpent which oftentimes will then end up feminized because that's a representation of one group conquering another group and then saying like your old gods are the gods that we vanquished and so it it, rec it replaces like a matriarchal society with a patriarchal one because proto-indo-europeans are largely patriarchal societies of course this, this is a hypothetical society so anything that's like proto-indo-european if you ever see it like in, in an etymology dictionary you usually see like an asterisk before a word so it kind of like shows that these are hypothetical words that are hypothetical roots and things like that hmm. so the, the linguistic people who deal with proto-indo-european stuff are i'm like y'all are just making shit up like i don't know how they get <laughs> all of that. they're like we're gonna make things up and that's and then that's, and that's real. just fine i'm sure i know it's complicated and they come up with shit but i'm like how <laughs> yeah how'd you come up with this shit <laughs> the trick is you just keep doing comparative 
linguistics and comparative mythology until you find a version that's like, oh, this this was just isolated for a really long time, so that gets us way further back than we thought. Or this word didn't change for a really long time. So like in pr- like proto-romance languages, you can look at like French, Spanish, Portuguese, and Italian will all have the same word, but then Romanian will have a different word. And it's, oh, Romanian was actually more conservative in this case. So that goes back to the proto-romance language hmm. because we know how languages change over time. So this should just always give me an existential crisis. <laughs> <laughs> and then sacrifice and ritual is is central to many societies and that kind of goes away with the importance on faith when christianity and islam start to sort of wipe out all of these smaller religious movements these pagan movements and and remnants of these other religions so what i'm going to do is talk about the proto-indo-european creation myth there's a guy on youtube his videos are, are pretty interesting but I don't like watching them a lot. I don't know. It's just like the pacing is weird, but it's Craig and Ford. And I, I know the link will be in there. Yeah. Uh, he does like a nice little telling of the story. So if you want to hear it like narrativized, it's a lot of fun. With a nice accent. Yeah. And you can also find this in uh, like a lot of this stuff is scholarship from like the 70s. So again, it'll be like Bruce Lincoln and other people like that. H bomb, don't, don't kill it. Don't kill me in my sleep, you know? Yeah. <laughs> So when you're talking about a proto-Indo-European society, you're talking about like people who just have this kind of culture from the Pontic steppe north of the Black Sea. It's so it's the Kurgan culture. It's derived Isn't from the Turkic word Kurgan meaning You're so far away from your from your mic, Jay. Hello, hello. Is that there. better? Is that better? Okay. Yeah, get in there. Ah. Yeah. Bite that mic. Uh, yeah, the Kurgan. Isn't that from like Highlander? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I don't I've <laughs> never seen Highlander. Highlander. I mean, that makes sense that it would be from Highlander. Kurgan's from Highlander. That's where it all began. It's, it's not that was my not dumb from- joke. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> anywho anywho if i just is this too loud is this good now yeah that's just perfect solid block just perfect talk like that the rest of the time <laughs> yeah kurgan culture in the pontic steppe is derived from the turkic word kurgan meaning tumulus which is like a burial mound so it's just the people who are making these burial mounds all over so the Proto-Indo-European creation myth is what I like to call the two dudes and a cow story because there's two dudes and a cow. And you'll find that in a lot of cultures, there's two dudes or more or less and it's a cow. It's like Ben and Jerry. Or, yeah. Yeah, it's like Ben and Jerry's. Two dudes and a cow. Exactly. Or or what's those, those magic men with the cat? The men. Yes, the, the Kurgan in Highlander is named after this Kurgan, I think, cool. actually. Wait, who are the magic men with a cat? Oh. The, with, the, with the tiger. Thundercats? Siegfried and Roy. <laughs> so imagine Siegfried and Roy and a cat. Oh, but, Siegfried uh, and Roy. <laughs> the gay magicians. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. creation myth. Siegfried, Roy, whoever they named their tiger. The Kurgan. That's not what they tiger. Okay. So back in the before times, there's time and time starts. And usually there's like fire and ice. It might be two realms colliding into each other and like in the Norse version, but there's fire and there's ice. And for some reason that starts creating things. So fire and ice begin sometime after time begins, which is not like a terrible explanation of things. So then you have the out of the fire and the ice come twins. So maybe they're frozen in the ice. That's kind of like in the Norse one, like the ice starts to melt and like the, the, the cosmic cow is in there and the milk starts flowing from the cosmic cow. 
But in this basic Proto-Indo-European version, we'll have two twins will show up, Manus and Yemo, which just means the man and his twin, the twin. So Yemo is going to mean twin. It's going to show up a lot. And then the celestial cows there, you know, hanging out. So other gods kind of show up, you know how it goes. They just kind of like, you know, they're like, hey, you know, we're here. Um, <laughs> Manus and Yemo need to create a home because they get bored because you would. And so Yemo agrees to be sacrificed. Manus cuts his body into pieces and builds the world, builds the sky, builds the seas, and he builds humans. And Trito is the first man. Manus becomes the first priest. He brings ritual sacrifice to mankind. So Trito. So they start sacrificing to these other gods who are around because they're just around. Don't worry about it. And because they're so good at doing sacrifice, the cattle are given to Trito by the gods because they're happy and they want Trito to be prosperous. They want the world to be in order. And they also want more treats. So Trito is treat boy and he makes like, you know, he exists so that he can make more sacrifices for the gods and make them happy. Treats out. He's the giving tree. Yeah. So then the chaos serpent Ingwi steals the cattle. Where does she come from? Probably a culture that Proto-Indo-Europeans conquer that's matriarchal. So I wrote that like every also every story of families about and, and names in Genesis is like groups of people coming together. So if so-and-so, so-and-so's father, that's just taking your patriarch and their patriarch and putting them in some kind of like family tree. And that's how we're all related. And that's why we're all like, but you know, obviously like the tribes that end up making up Israel are like, some of them are sea peoples. Some of them are from Egypt. Some of them are like indigenous to the Middle East. Some of them are indigenous, like different places. And they're like, oh yeah, our, our great, great grandfather is your great, great grandfather's brother. Cool. And so you kind of like make these little stories about it. And that's like most of what Genesis is, is just like explaining why everyone's related. Yeah, why everyone like, like names came together come and found each other and conquered the yeah. evil lady, the serpent lady. So, Trito gives a sacrifice to the storm god Percunus to gain support. It's not clear if Percunus is already a warrior god or if he's going to be. There's something in here about like drinking like a, a sacrificial drink to Percunus. But anyway, Percunus and Trito uh, uh, is is pleased by this. And he either gives Trito the power or goes with Trito to kill Ingwi and bring the cattle back. So Trito becomes the first warrior and gives cattle to Manus to sacrifice to the gods, because that's what you do. A new king is crowned who is named Yemo. So it's another twin. And Yemo is now tied to the land and sacrificed himself to keep people safe and lands for it all. So the king and the land are one. Like the Fisher King. Exactly. Yeah, or like the Lion King. The, all the kings. The Lion King is the Fisher King. Yeah, so when Lion King le leaves, the land starts to become barren because the king is not in his land. So they have like an actual famine. Or like in Macbeth, where the forest literally rises up against him mm -hmm. because it's the army going through it. But, you know, still. So this basic story explains like a lot of origins. Why it not, it explains like where the world comes from, but also explains why do we do sacrifices? Why are the king and the priest co sovereigns? Right. Why do they have this co relationship? Like, and that goes well into, you know, the medieval period. Like, the Pope has to crown kings through Europe. The lands of the Catholic Church are separate from the land holdings of the kings, who are separate from the land holdings of the nobles, because the king's not allowed to control all of the land. Some of the land gets to be controlled by the church. Or in some societies, the priests are not allowed to own any land. So, like, the Levites are not allowed to own any land, probably because they come from a, another place. 
And so they just move into an area, become the priestly caste. This also happens in India, but I didn't get to do a whole lot of background on Indian stuff, which is what I wanted to do as well. I could do, I'll have, I could do like a lot more on this, but then it would also be like a two hour long podcast. Well, we'll do another one sometime. <laughs> There's other stuff we could talk about. We, we, we still haven't done like communion yet. I'm oh, like, we're just I like cannot edging. wait, Justin. I cannot. We're just edging. I'm going to be edging during that whole episode. <laughs> You can skip a lot of steps in this story. So in this version, like Manus and Yemo, like create man, like they create humans, they create Trito, Treat Boy. And you don't have to do this in every version of the story because individual cultures are going to like build in whatever they want. So sometimes all of this story will take place in like the heavens or the somewhere outside of the earth and sky. Like usually the sky is sort of like, a canvas that's like built on top of things. So we live in like a snow globe and everything else is like a primordial sea. Um, the firmament. Yeah. So like a firmament is like stretched skin sometimes or stuff mm-hmm. like that. Or we're inside a giant skull of a giant. Love that. Which I believe is uh, Emir, the giant that Odin kills and builds the earth out of his corpse. I think we are inside Emir's skull and the clouds are his brains. So that's where clouds come from. There you go. It's Emir's Fluffy brains. Fluffy brain clouds. I guess if you were to see brains, they do kind of look like... Yeah, they look like clouds. I guess. Like when you see those like Chinese paintings that are really like hard line circles of clouds. That's what... That kind of looks like a brain. So (laughs) that's probably also why Yimo's name gets repeated in this version, where Yimo is the original twin, but then also the first king. There's like steps in betweens, but maybe it was just Manus and Yemo just came out of nowhere and there was no sacrifice part. Or the sacrifice was of Ingui to build the the earth out of her corpse, which is what you get in Marduk and Tiamat. So Tiamat is the ocean goddess, an older god, a primordial god from the from the uncivilized past, right? She's a monster, she's a woman, she's sometimes a cow. Because again, you got like, you gotta get a cow in there. Just cow just shows up. Sometimes cow. Maybe not all the time, but sometimes cow. I mean they're very nourishing. They have milk and meat. Yeah. You know? All kinds of stuff you need. And they make and fertilizer. Bone. Leather. And yeah. People can do all that too. It's so interesting how many horror movies come out of the bon- the feminine monster, you know? Like how many like Alien is like, you know, the all devouring mother. And it's all, you know, based on this, like, you know, fear of the abject, fear of the other, fear of the before, the le- the leaky woman, <laughs> the bleeding, leaky, feminine. Yeah. Yeah. Or like in, in Japanese folklore and in horror films, like the Onibaba, the serpent woman is always like a wronged woman. Like she's a woman who is upset at you, mm-hmm. at you specifically. Like that's the Onibaba. She like is a revenge deity as well. So it's like... Like, we're not just afraid of women. They're also mad at us. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> we've we've done something to anger them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is probably true. Yeah, and like, I mean, I bring this up in every episode, but, um, you know, this is like the Barbara Creed 
reading of of horror movies that you know based on like julia kristeva and the abject which all you know is all like from lacan so it's all coming from myth and you know it's it's pretty it's all tied together yeah we reinvent myths all the time and like we don't even necessarily need to do it on purpose like you start like playing around with a story and suddenly you've like like when like the, someone makes like the last temptation of christ so like you accidentally reinvent things that people had already invented in like niche religious communities but you're like if you just think about the story for a while you'll come to like some of the same conclusions as long as you're playing with it or like the noah story i did episode about the noah movie which is a bad movie but it gives you lots to play with and if you just like keep playing with it, you start pulling out elements of the story that are already there. You're not injecting anything into it. But as long as you're just playing with it, you will accidentally recreate something that someone already thought of a couple, you know, over a thousand years ago. Right. And that was on left page creepy media if you want to listen to it. I really liked that episode. I thought I did good. I did a lot of research for it. Um nice. by which I mean I watched the movie and then just talked because I have most of this like sitting up here for no reason. Up in your clouds. Of my clouds. In my fluffy, uh, my fluffy clouds. Incorporating patriarchy into matriarchal myths. I, I made a note about the serpent in the garden and Eve's relationship because that version of the... So there's two creation myths in Genesis. There's basically separated by chapters. That's unintentional, but the chapter one is the first creation story. And then chapter two through five-ish is the priestly creation story. And that's the one that has man being created first and then woman and then the woman is named eve whereas in, in genesis chapter one humans just kind of created in pairs kind of like more like the greek myth mm. uh where they also might be like stuck together so that would explain sexual attraction because then god splits them so then you have like why are people attract why are some people attracted to other men why are some women attracted to other women well they were all these two peoples and then they all got split that's the and so head, then they want to the get back together that's the angry myth yeah <laughs> you get tons of that i was just reading through like a version of one of the stories so eve is sort of like attached to adam's back for a time and then lilith comes to uh, because she thinks that adam is alone and then sees eve on the back and flees because eve is like sort of like a, a wisp form at this point like not not immediately visible but then becomes and is like incorporeal for a moment kind of like a ghost that's wild lots of fun stuff yeah yeah I've mostly just heard of the rib, the rib version, not the like growing out of a back. Yeah, Adam had surgery to remove his rib so he could suck his own dick. And- <laughs> Marilyn Manson told him it was cool. But the reason we have that version is because the serpent, the, the priestly writers are like serpent worshippers. So the serpent in that story doesn't lie at all. Because God tells to humans that the fruit is poison, and the serpent says it's not poison. When you eat it, you'll be likened to a god. And then Eve looks at it, sees that it is good for food, meaning not poison, eats it, and her eyes become open. And then God himself says they have become like one of us. So the serpent does nothing but tell the truth through the whole story. Um, so that's that's slipping in part of the story of the mythology that you wanted to keep. You also get like the same thing with like Moses. It's also a snake worshiper. He changes a staff into a snake. He creates a staff that looks like a snake. And if you're bitten by a snake, you look upon his staff and you won't die. Imitative magic. So like this is all like like Levitical priestly stuff and coming out of Egypt. And that's also you can you can pull that back to like Tiamat as well or or like other serpent 
worshiping gods who bring wisdom, as they generally tend to do. And people who like writing books and stuff really like that. They get into that. Other versions by like creation of combat, you get, you get, uh, I don't usually like pronouncing this on podcasts. I feel like it's scholarly, but it's YHWH, I'll just say Adonai, fights Leviathan or Rahab. And you get like a lot of poetry about this in the Bible. This is also in the very, in Genesis 1 or the face of God is over the uh, over the or the wind of God blows over the face of the deep. The word there is to home. It's translated as the deep. That is a cognate with Tiamat. So the world is built out of Tiamat. It's referencing the Babylonian creation myth. Huh. Um, yeah. So Tiamat's like a primordial god um, that's kind of already there because the the Genesis doesn't start ex nihilo. It starts when God began to create the heavens and the earth. So you're starting mid story. You 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 assume that the Babylonian creation myth has already started, and then a translation would be when God begins to make the heavens and the earth. You start in the middle of the story, but it cuts out other mythologies because you're getting closer to henotheism. You're getting closer to monotheism when okay. these things are being written down, and they wanted to have they're doing the same thing that like the pre-socratics are doing they're trying to get kind of a more intellectual version rather than all these creation by combat myths they're like okay god starts speaking things into existence and the the pre-socratics are kind of doing the same thing as well but yeah if you get like a modern like like a modern like jewish study bible it will start when god began to create the heavens and the earth it's it's king james is a good translation and in english we really like in the beginning because that's a good strong it's a good it's so it's fucking good beginning it's a good it's good beginning but it's not accurate. Um, but it's not the beginning. We we are a King James version p- podcast. Get out of here with this new international version. Yeah. Takes all the poetry out of it. King James out only. But like the bad gays version of the Bible. Important to remember <laughs> that all of yeah that it was it was like written and isn't just like imprinted by God. It was written by people. And so, yeah, like, obviously things were excised and added and, you know, shaped like, based on what those people at that time would like you to believe or, like, what what they want you to believe in. Yeah, and also, usually there's a reason people are starting to write down a lot of stuff. There might be, like, a, a time of insecurity, or there might be a translation movement, so, like, a lot of things are in the wrong language and you need to start moving them into the right one, because all your written sources are being written down in the language you don't want so there's lots of reasons to like start writing something down and there's a lot you know those reasons are going to influence what you write write down and when yeah i feel like that's an important point too like when these things shift from like oral traditions to written yeah like after the destruction of the temple you get the the writing down of the oral torah right because it's not something you would have written down before but now it's like this is a moment of peril we kind of need to do this yeah that makes sense i guess i've never thought of it in terms of like like writing things down because of peril but that makes absolute sense yeah or sometimes it's a good thing like you get translation movements in the arabic world because you have all these like coptic speaking christians who can write read and write greek because they're christians and the new testament's in greek and they're translating all of this greek stuff for these you know the, the new Islamic intelligentsia. And so then you get the preservation of a lot of Greek stuff translated into Arabic, hmm. um, which then makes its 
way into Europe through another translation. So you get uh, a lot of preservation and of, especially of like Aristotle and stuff like that and Galen and all this stuff because of a translation movement that comes about because of kind of good things, which is just like an age of prosperity and people get interested in the past. Right. Yeah. And you just happen to have a community of people who are uh, convenient to, to do that. <clears throat> so I think this is more in Rafael Bataille's The Hebrew Goddess, but when you have Adonai fighting the Leviathan or Rahab, the cosmic chaos dragon, this also has to do with like ascension. So there is usually like elder gods. So there will be like, and you have this both in Hebrew mythology, and then I believe Bataille compares this to some Vedic mythology, but you have elder gods who are just like so old. They are, how old are they? They're so old and they're like tired and there will be one of them will go, okay, I'm going to solve this problem, but in return, I get to be the new patriarch. And of course, like the other god can't die, but they're so tired. They're so old. So this is where like El and Adonai get smooshed together. So El is this like the father god and Adonai is like the storm god, which again, the creation myth, you have the storm god. He blows over the waters. He he rides on the clouds of thunder. He's a storm god. Yeah. So storm gods are often warrior gods, and he goes off and kills Leviathan and then takes his father's consort, which would be, I guess, technically his mother, but, you know, slim pickings, I guess, among the gods, which would be the Asherah. We've never let a little incest stop us no. as gods. Yeah. So I didn't get to anything on this, but Perusa is also one of these primordial gods who has like thousands of eyes and arms and stuff like that in Vedic hymns and Rig Veda and is either agrees to be sacrificed. I want to check versions of this. I didn't have time because I, I'm always worried that like someone's going to tell you one version of the story and yeah. it's like, uh, like it's the it's like not full. So I always want to get like four or five versions and just be like, okay, this is roughly what happens, I guess. But then you, yeah. you split them up into pieces and build humanity and the universe out of them. Yeah, in, in Buddhism, uh, Avalokiteshvara, which is the name in Sanskrit, but it's Chenrezig in Tibetan. This is the Bodhi, the Buddha that uh, the Dalai Lama is an emanation of. And Avalokiteshvara is often depicted as having like a thousand arms and like in the very same way that you often see like in sort of like Vedic myths of uh -huh. the thing with like a bajillion arms because he's the, the Buddha of compassion. And so he needs to be able to reach every single sentient being and like be able to help them like that's why white that's why tara has like eyes on her palms and her third eye and on the soles of her feet so that she has more eyes to be able to see to like help people so the sort of like being like multi-limbed or multi-whatever as a way of being able to be spread out further among the people is kind of like a, a happens kind of a lot symbolically in like vedic deities yeah. So a couple others, Odin and Ymir. Ymir comes from Yemo, meaning twin, and a cow named Athumbla, who's like the cow that's frozen in ice and then starts like, it's just there. It's kind of, it's, I don't think cows used for anything. Yeah, what it's are these cows of, doing? They're just always there. They're just kind of, yeah, it's two dudes and a cow. I guess it's just, yeah, it must be some sort of symbol of- Two dudes, of, one cow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I had to, sorry. <laughs> Someone needs to. That's the new, the origin myth porn. Two dudes, one cow. <laughs> Two dudes, one cow. <laughs> <laughs>
that'd be hot. I'd read that. Yeah, same. And then there's also a, a Germanic version of this was just Twistus and Manus. And then from Manus, three tribes are born. So that's a little more like about like, where do our people come from? So you get the same thing with Romulus and Remus. Like there's two twins. And so you get like city state versions of this where there's just like our people come from two twins rather than the universe. But these are echoes of like the same story. So I've got a couple more fun things that involve cannibalism. So I already brought Lilith. Oh, I forgot to mention Lilith also is frequently throughout the medieval period portrayed as the serpent in the story of the the second the priestly creation myth so she's usually a lamia in art so she is half serpent half woman hot yeah yeah and that was like the dominant reading for a long time i'm into it of just like yeah there's the serpent's a lady with tits and it's like lilith there's no way that people didn't think that was hot then oh i've seen this hentai yeah right yeah oh justin your camera's out of focus it's giving me a headache okay I don't know why it does this. It's like I, I bought this like right in 2020. Soft, you're very soft focus. You're like the first season, season of Drag, Drag Race. Race. <laughs> this is a gay podcast. This is a I was going to say Facetune Pig. Or, or, I love you, or face, that. Facetune Pig. <laughs> Use Facetune Pig as the cover art for this episode. Okay. I love you, Facetune face Pig. Pig is. It's one of our it's one of our emojis in the Discord, Facetune Pig. Oh my God, it Jay. This is the pig with Facetune on it. <laughs> what more do you need? <laughs> I'm so uncool and don't know what happens on the internet. <laughs> it's a picture of a pig put through Facetune. But <laughs> smooth? It's a smooth pig. Smooth pig. There's a lot happening. Smooth long pig. <laughs> Here we go. Delicious. So, okay, I've got my Tree of Souls, the Encyclopedia, or the Mythology of Judaism by Howard Schwartz. I had this, I just came across this in a library I was working in. And I was like, I need a copy of this. So this is like an encyclopedia, but all of the entries are written as narrative. So instead of like Ooh. a nonfiction reading, it's all just turned back into a narrative. So here's a story of Lilith and Elijah. So Elijah was walking one day and he met Lilith. He said, unclean one, where are you going? Lilith knew that she could not lie to Elijah. So she said, I'm going to the house of a woman who was about to give birth. I will give her a sleeping potion and kill her and take her child and eat it. And Elijah says, like, curse you. Yeah, I curse you in the name of the Lord. Be silent as a stone. Lilith says, no, don't. And L- Elijah says, tell me what your names like are. That, Justin. I'm paraphrasing. Okay. <laughs> Lilith said, my names are Lilith, Abidi, Abizu, Amrasu, Hakash, Ode, Ayil, Matruta, Avgu, Katakali, Batub, and Peritash. Let them be written and hung about the house of the woman who are bearing a child or around the child after it has been born. When I see those names, I shall run away at once. Neither the child nor the mother will ever be injured by me. So she is a, a witch intent on killing children, but a cannibal as well who wants to kill the mother and devour the, ty- the, the child. Huh. Yeah. Scary woman in the woods. Don't go in the woods. This one I found Working when I was doing field. research. Yeah. Stop showing us your tits. And it's only a little like Passover too. It's like if you do these things, then she will like pass over your home kind of thing. And I think that people still do give yeah. little amulets to babies right after they're born before they're circumcised. Because once you're circumcised, I believe the the story is that like that you're you're protected. But oh, you can't be circumcised for a few days. Yeah. So they put little amulets on the babies. Oh. I believe some people still do this. Somebody need that's a great horror movie, like in the making, right? Yeah. I mean, there's Bill's Booth, which is kind of like that, but it's not a good movie, unfortunately. It's real strong start, 
yeah. gets worse. Somebody make another one about a baby witch who, I don't know, goes to the hospital and steals all the one-day-old babies. She do an episode on and the eats them. Yeah, grinding babies into paste. I love the bitch. This is a story about how, this is one of the origin of evil stories. So I, you're going to have to like listen to the episode I did on Noah because I talk about this more. Okay. Um, so this is how, how, this is one of the origin of evil myths. And it's usually around like the origin of evil. Many people put it as like the fall in the garden, but that's not always the case where people see the origin of evil. Sometimes it comes more around Noah's time where you have more of a Promethean fall. So Samael is one of these fall, these angels who will fall. And there's tons of other ones like Raphael, Samjael, Samzael, and they all come and teach us like bad things. So they'll teach us about like war and co- Samael teaches war and cosmetics, healing and seduction. Me too, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> snatched <laughs> snatched for the gods we're at a serve cunt so here's this story samuel riding on the serpent i don't know why the serpent's there came to eve and she conceived a child the child the son that was That's born the, was the son of samuel and then adam who'd been walking in the garden of eden returned he found the son of samuel crying and he asked eve who is he because he's been gone i guess and she says this is samuel's son and he said to her why do we need this problem here and the boy was still crying because he wanted to make adam angry <laughs> uh, which is what I always say when a ta- when a baby is crying is it's trying to yeah. piss me off. Yeah, that's exactly what it's doing. Manipulative babies are the worst. This is an antinatalist podcast. Yeah. What did the first man Adam do? He stood over him and slaughtered him and cut him into pieces, and then every piece would yell by itself. What did Adam do? He stood and boiled it, and he and his wife Eve ate it. When Samuel learned what they had eaten his son, he came to them and said, Give me my boy. They said, We didn't see anything. We don't know anything, which is the last move. (laughs) The classic move. Goes full, there will be blood. That was like, see something, say something, and they were like, no nard. Yeah, we didn't see nothing. That's They love doing this. Never works out for them. And you'd think they would stop. And he said to them, you're lying. While they were arguing, the son of Samael spoke from the heart of Adam and Eve and said to Samael, go on your way because I have already entered into their hearts and I am not going to leave their hearts nor the hearts of their sons, nor the sons of their sons throughout the generations. And that is the origin of evil in the human heart, is cannibalism. rules. Why did I not know about this? Yeah. This is one I didn't know about. Um, I knew about, like, Lilith eats babies, gets rebuked, like, fights with midwives. Like, midwives have to know little tricks to keep Lilith away, you know, because Lilith can turn into a hare and fall into the, the, the milk, and then will enter the baby and strangle it as a hare or something like that. Oh, I thought you meant a rabbit, an actual hare. Yeah, like a ha- like a piece of hair will fall into a cup of milk. Oh, I promised I would mention it during the recording. The my graduate fellows have named the printer in our library Lilith because of how often it acts up, and so you have to appease Lilith <laughs> and, and treat her starving. well. Yeah, starving for paper. Yeah, that's cute. I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you also get versions. Let's see which one. Sometimes you have to appease an angry god. Sometimes you have to appease an angry god. I I'm love- blown away by this like cannibalism, evil in the heart bullshit happening. Yeah, yeah. Samuel is always like one of the the fun later fallen angels who shows up and teaches us bad stuff. What is it? What kind of bad stuff? I like how the angels all hate humans and just fuck with us because there's always this like picture of like angels being like good and all that. I'm like, no, they just fuck little with cherubs. Us. No, they look like crazy balls of light with a thousand eyes. Yeah, some of them do. Yeah. No. Yeah. So let's see. I mentioned Perusa. Did I interrupt a question that you asked, Kate? What? Did I interrupt a question that you asked? Okay. I think I was just talking about appeasing gods. 
She was doing like a stand-up bit. Like, we love it, folks, don't we? Yeah. No, I just like, I was, you know, I was raised Catholic and I realized recently how extremely superstitious I, regardless of like whether I am an active believer. And I, I just, I've been thinking about that a lot, you know, that I'm like, I guess I have to appease God. And it's like, why? I'm not sure if I believe in God, but it's just part of me. The one thing the Craig and Ford guy talks about is that the importance is really not on belief, but on on ritual. Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah, and belief is not so much like of importance. And then because of all this influence of belief, modern like Wicca and neo-paganism puts emphasis on belief where it doesn't really need to be. So you don't need to believe that these rituals do anything. You just kind of do them. Yes. And like the act of doing sort of creates and enforces a belief in it. In a, yeah, you're in making a, in a order. Way. You're making it. Yeah, yeah, you're doing it. And like, I do a lot of ritual superstition. Like, I always knock on wood. You know, I pray to San- St. Anthony if I lose something. And like, at this point, St. Anthony is actually more of a familial tie because like we used to joke around that my grandmother had like a direct a direct line to saint anthony and so now it's like in my head the ritual is like i'm praying to saint anthony who's like sitting next to my my grandmother which i know is not true but the ritual of it is nice you know it feels nice or like I talked about with Buddhism, how like it does, what there's no necessary difference really between believing this thing is literally true and using it more metaphorically if the end result is the same. Like if both like the path is the one that gets you there, yeah. right? So like there's like it doesn't matter if it's real or not, you know? Right. And like what is... Yeah, because that's not the point. And like reality is always shifting and bending. So like, Mm -hmm. what is that actually... You know, it's not like it's the static thing where you're like, is this real? It doesn't matter. But like, if you believe in it for that moment, does it become real? It's real. Yeah, it's real enough. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, there's... I I can talk more a little bit about sort of the, the kingly myth. A lot of what we know about the creation by combat in the Bible is not from the actual stuff in Genesis, but it comes from the kingly rituals that are described in other parts of the Bible. And those re reenact the creation by combat myth, which is gone from Genesis. So it'll have the, you know, the need to stories about God fighting Leviathan and how in when there's a creation of a new world that will be also that will also happen again there will also be another creation by combat so that's like the same thing with the the eschatology so when the earth is going to be reborn there will be another fight and that will bring in the birth of the new world so you get a lot of that in like revelation as well but you also get that before that's why there's so many dickhead zionist christians mm-hmm. yeah and yeah and also wh- why there are people who are like there's no way you can speed this up it's like trying to say like if we like gave a bunch of money to iceland like ragnarok would happen sooner it's like that's a silly proposition <laughs> so you can also say that where there's religious people who are like yeah like we'll, we'll just speed up the coming of ragnarok like that's dumb you can't that's do that that's not on your timeline yeah <laughs> 
<laughs> Stan Bjork to bring about Ragnarok. <laughs> <laughs> she has a lot of power in Iceland. She does. I love her. <laughs> Bjork is anti-Zionist, by the way. Is she? So good. Go Stan Bjork. Yeah, I saw a post on her Instagram that was like pro-Palestine. Thank and all God. That. I was like, fuck yeah. Thank you, B- thank you, Bjork. No, I mean, there's a lot more. There's a lot more interesting stuff in Vedic myth, and I didn't get a chance into it. There's also some stuff in the Americas, like Aztecs in particular have a lot of the world is kind of required like the sun especially requires like human sacrifice human blood human hearts priestly blood so the priest might have to sacrifice their blood or or something like that um and do you think like yeah the whole like i think you mentioned this before but like the the idea of sacrifice of like what the gods need do you think is is just sort of like a co-kingly way to create order like with the priests like is that a way that you can kind of just like keep the people i guess like functioning without chaos Right. I mean, if you want to do like a, a Marxist analysis of myth. Sure, let's um, do this, it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this all falls in like superstructure areas. So it, it represents something material. So when you're talking about like state formation, yeah. it's usually someone parks on a bit of land and then can extract tolls. So like you can't get through this crossroad unless you pay me. And then that becomes government, right? You can't move through here unless you do something. So that's, you know, the connection of the king to the land. That makes sense there. But then you have migration and movements of peoples. So that also explains like the non-landed priestly class. So as you have migrations of groups into other places, you can you can also have the creation of priestly classes and or just the inability to to have complete sovereignty in any sort of state formation so you need co-sovereigns right i guess that could be part of it where's the snake it really it really does show so much how this really makes me think every time i think about it how long lasting the model of king and priest is through human history like we do it for a long time we've been doing it for thousands of years and then we start doing things like democracies and we start having liberalism and it's like why do we why did modern liberal democracies start removing the state, the the church from the state. Why did they start doing that? Was it a, a, a reemergence of this need to have co-sovereignty with the king in the land? You know, Reagan was that why America jerk. did that? Yeah, I don't know. Um, and this would be a good time for everyone to watch The Devils by Ken Russell because it's on... I wish I still haven't seen. It's on Criterion right now. And it's so much about, you know, France trying to unify under one king, you know, from like city states to one king and Catholicism and a the city of Ludon being walled off and not wanting to not wanting to join the the like larger country partially because of the plague because it like when it when cities are walled off they protect themselves but also like they're they were able to sort of have like a kinship between the catholics and protestants which you know the country didn't want so it sounds like that's like the literally the driest explanation of the devils that's ever existed because it's also about like nun orgies and uh licking side wounds and oliver reed being the hottest priest in the entire world but it is also about like the unification of a country under a king and a and a religion yeah super check 
Is that for superstructure? Yeah, I've got this book, which is very interesting. And if other people read it or have read it, I would be curious as to your thoughts. I got it through, it's either a PM Press book or an AK Press book, but you can probably buy it at either. It's called The Occult Features of Anarchism. Oh, we have that book in my house. Yeah, yeah and like Barbara Ehrenreich does the foreword yes. to it. And like an interesting thing, it like it talks about in it, because it's like we start sort of, it like it talks a lot about, like, I got it because I'm like, ooh, it's going to talk about like spooky shit and anarchism, but it mainly <laughs> just talks about Freemasonry. <laughs> That's what Ad- Adam read it, and he was like, this is a lot of facts about the Freemasons that I was not With- prepared for. Right, but like we start seeing things like these sort of like fraternal brotherhoods and things like hermeticism and all of this. Like once we get the enlight, like the Enlightenment mm. era, where we start getting the more like we're too intelligent for God, separation of church and state, like all of that. But then you start getting these more like fraternal societies and that sort of get splintered off because I feel like there's people maybe are like trying to like fill the God hole or whatever. But then Is that like, like these. Yes, sadly. But there's like one of the reasons why these societies and belief systems start getting demonized is because of their politics. And also they get linked with Judaism. And so it's like an anti-Semitic thing that like misaligns or malign, whatever the word is, that misaligns them. Like these all start happening once we sort of get into this enlightenment era that is separating these concepts. Also talked about some weird creation myths with hermeticism and homunculi yeah hermeticism is so cool like i want to it's just like it's, i want to learn about it it's so weird yeah each little drop of sperm contains a baby yeah <laughs> i was reading something well, about only. something about like the pythagoreans had like logic their way into figuring out that sperm lived in the brain and that if you needed to get like the essence of a person you should eat their brain because that's where the sperm lived that's where the sper- i mean that's where the spermaceti lived. mentioned again yeah yeah this is a pythagoras yeah. podcast i guess yeah someone just Another asked thing- me on twitter if i was on a three-year journey on a ship for like sperm whale harpooning how many whales do you think i could harpoon over three years, and I said none, but that I would be excited to lap up some spermaceti, which is in the brain. Yeah. So there you go. They're almost there. Yeah. Looking at the wrong brain. Another thing that Occult Features of Anarchism book talks about in like its like final chapters or whatever is like that in like leftist politics, especially like amongst like anarchists and stuff, right? We have this tendency to be like, no gods, no masters, no religion. Oh, but you indigenous non-Western people over there, yours are totally real. Yeah, it's right? okay. you, Yeah. Where it's like kind of patronizing. Yeah. But it's like, do we do we believe that it's real? Or are we just like, you can believe it's real. It's fine. You get a pass. And it's like, that's actually really insulting. It's like, if we're going to like, bu- like, we need to believe that these people believe what they're like, it's, it's like, we need to take it more seriously. And I feel like this happens a lot, like in a lot of the myths that we talk about and like the cannibalism, it's like, we don't take it at face value yeah like we sort of like shrug it off and we abstract it but it's like no if we're going to engage with this seriously especially if we're talking about like indigeneity at all and like 
like we need to take it seriously. Like this division between myth and religion, it's like it does us no favors to be patronizing and be like, oh, the theirs are real. Like I like when I went to the National Day of Mourning, like there was just like we we all did like a prayer at the end, and it was sort of like, oh, everyone's like believing this, but then are not going to take any other types of beliefs seriously. And it's not right. out of respect; it's out of like a fetishization kind of like orient like a orientalism kind of thing right almost i i don't know so like that's another interesting thing that book talks about that i think is like relevant to this discussion that we're having is when do we take these things seriously when do we believe that people believed these things and we believe them now like yeah what do we draw the line on you know yeah can you be a like can we take a a person who's like, yes, I fully believe like the creation myths of Catholicism to be true? Like, do we tell that person that they're not serious or like, I don't know, that that doesn't exist? Yeah, and is, the, is that myth incompatible with like anarchism? Right. Because it, it also reifies like kingship myths. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like a lot of maybe like indigenous beliefs also that we would like give a pass to would also reify. It's like we do this weird thing of like we don't engage Mm -hmm. with it out of like a fetishization and a like fear of being seen as wrong or just picking and choosing you know like where you do that thing where you're an anarchist so you're like well indigenous all indigenous tribes were non-hierarchical and that's like no they were all good (laughs) not true (laughs) yeah you know and like people are people yeah 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 that's the that's the main thing you have to i've been in so many meetings where i've just had to say well the thing about indigenous people is they're people yeah um, which means that there are plenty of indigenous people who are (laughs) as unfortunately as stupid and self-interested as their as their white counterparts Right. Uh, that's just comes with the territory. Yeah. No, I mean, it's true. Like full representation, like also includes really shitty movies about trans people or really shitty trans people or really shitty gays. I mean, we have a whole podcast about it. That's lovely. Yeah. This is why bad gays is so important. Yeah. <laughs> like representation is not, you can't just be like, we will show you the best of, of, like examples of people and turn them into some sort of like untouchable. It's its own myth making. Yeah, that is another myth. Yeah. 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 That's what my Twitter for you page is now is queer people with bad politics and boundary issues. Oh yeah. Um, I think that's oh, yeah, everyone's Twitter for you now. Yeah. My you, mine used to just be right wingers like for like a good like six months. You're for you and library punk. Yeah, because I didn't use that account that much, so that was like the default. Oh, okay. like, have you ever gone into YouTube like not signed in? It will show you heinous shit. I guess I haven't. Like, yeah, everyone has just got like H Bomber guy videos right now. But like, if right. you log in and see the For You page, it'll be like top music, Jordan Peterson, featurette. <laughs> uh, like that's front page, like Joe Rogan experience. Like that's the most popular shit on the internet. Yeah. I know I exist very much in a little tiny bubble. There's one more thing I want to mention because I did add alongside the Hebrew goddess. I put a paper by Mary Wakeman from 1969 in there. Nice. And there was, yeah, I was thinking it. All right. And she has a bit in there 
just similar to something I mentioned earlier, which is the when you have uh, the creation over the to home, the deep Tiamat, it sort of assumes that like these monsters like are gone from the story. And early in the article, she's talking about how breaking the power, like like God breaks the power of the sea monster and then builds things through the sea and out of the sea, even before we had like Ugaritic texts to look at where we got more information about this. But even before we had those texts, there were other scholars who were looking at it and saying like, well, anytime you see someone talking about con- like God conquering the sea, it's a stand in for these monsters. So why in the Exodus story is it so important that Israel has a victory over Egypt at the Reed Sea, like the crossing of the Sea of Reeds and the waters flowing back in and killing all the Egyptian soldiers. Anytime you have this conquering of the sea, it's recapitulating that story of the fight against Rahab. So you have an example in Isaiah 51, 9 through 10. Awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in days of old, generations of long ago. Was it not you that cut Rahab into pieces, that pierced the dragon? Was it not you that dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, made the depths of the sea a way for the redeemed to pass over? So sometimes it's not always fully sublimated into the non, the non mythic. Sometimes it goes back into, oh yeah, here's that, that creature again. And you get to see him side by side and you get to pull out these little glean, these little pieces from it. You're so fucking smart. You're going to say that. Comparative religion just always makes me go like, like I, I turn to that meme of like the person seeing all the math. I'm like, <laughs> like how all the shit connects. I'm like, what the fuck is happening? It always feels like my, the fabric of my reality is like unwinding. I'm like, oh, wait, people have just known this shit. Why didn't I know this shit? And again, it goes back to like this stuff comes into vogue and then goes away. And people don't want to talk about comparative mythology anymore. They don't want to talk about, you know, I mean, right now, especially in Israel, like the field of archaeology and anthropology is, is being you know, is doing its colonial action, right? All of these artifacts are being stolen by Israeli soldiers who are walking in and the Israeli Antiquities Authority is like tweeting, is like putting this shit on Facebook. You can go on Facebook right now, go to the Israeli Antiquities Authority and they're like, oh, we found another Babylonian lamp. What are the odds? And just stealing shit. You know, Go listen to the Library Punk episode on the Great Book Robbery. Or just watch the Great Book Robbery. That or too. Both. It's very good. Or both. I refuse to choose. <laughs> <laughs> I that king, king. I refuse to choose. <laughs> I reject your dichotomy. I would, I would suck a golf ball through his dick, like Jesus Christ. Good Lord, I love him. Got <laughs> a great in there. I don't sound know. it. He's a sounding fan. He's into sounding. That's a really being into sounding golf balls. Yeah. Next level. It's too much. Next level. Too sounding. much. Don't do it. Don't do that. <laughs> Do it. We don't king shame on this podcast. Yeah, Justin. (laughs) It's just one of those situations, people acting like they have better health insurance than they do. (laughs) (laughs) It's like king shaming. It's just plain sense. Yeah, I'm just saying. We care about your material condition. We care about the material conditions of your penis. (laughs) (laughs) You got to have a real good PPO. A, a PP. Uh, a PP what? Mm-hmm. Oh boy. I don't know what a PP is. You got a soundboard. Jay has a soundboard too. Jay, you have technically a... only right now. Jay, you have a soundboard. <laughs> yes. You have one sound. <laughs> no, I also have this one. <laughs> and I have this one. Oh, that one's 
Nope, I deleted it. Oops. We should do that more fine. often. I accidentally deleted it because I was trying to That's stop it. It's the old library punk theme. Yeah. I know it is. So I was like, yeah, it's Yeah, I was fun. like, I like that song. What is it? That's <laughs> the original library punk theme. <laughs> I think I remember. Yeah, here's the damn ass fucking gay, damn ass rock. I still don't know what it's saying. So I feel like I'm a stroke when you play this. And then here's the damn ass fucking gay, damn ass rock. And here's a gay fucking damn ass gay ass rock. And then here's a damn ass fucking gay, damn ass rock. <laughs> it's just little eight year olds skateboarding, and like one of the kids eats shit on a rock, and the other kid's like, Hey, you want this gay ass rock? You want to pee on it? Do something gay to it? I love doing something gay to a rock, aka peeing too. on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> love gay. to pee on a rock. Peeing is gay, would- everyone. <laughs> Justin made a drop of me saying, oh, Ooh, well, All right. I think that we've descended into madness, which yeah, is the end. The chaos serpent. Which is, yeah, is the end the of the origin, the creation myth. Yeah. Descending into I've trans the chaos serpent. Uh, gender. I've, exactly. I've so trans well, the Biden. chaos serpent. It's wearing a, they are wearing a um, mm-hmm. muscle tee and <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> they're a non-binary serpent. Yeah, they're a non-binary serpent. They're wearing fanny pack. Their name is Hiss. Yeah, or like Acorn. The <laughs> <laughs> pronouns are it, it's. Oh, fuck! Well, okay, we can't top that. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs> oh, wait, Justin, where can people find you? Librarypunk.gay. Library yeah. Go listen, it's good. It Promise. is. We like I'm there. it. Kate's been there I've a couple there. times too. Hey, guys, I've been there. You've been there. Hey, you've been there. Yep. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> That's it. Apple chips, you talking apples, got them. Big ass booty, that's an apple bottom. Apple pie, that's the appetizer. Double cup full of the apple cider. Yay! You have too much power when you have a soundboard. I know, it's great. I think we need Justin to just be our soundboard. Oh, I'd be okay with that. (laughs) That's what Justin feels about it. No comment. (laughs) I'm a bad dog. Okay. What all do you have in the soundboard right now? Are we still recording?